welcome everyone to Rock M Radio. Uh, this is the brand new uh, episode of Dive Cuts. As you can see, with me uh, tonight is our, our friend Matt Watkins. Uh, we're here to talk all about the Missouri Tigers uh, and their basketball program. Uh, although the uh, Missouri football team is coming off a, a, a big weekend over the weekend or a win over the weekend, uh, Mr. Watkins, did you uh, did you did you watch the yes. upset of the number fifteen uh, Kansas State Wildcats? I did watch it. It was uh, it was quite thrilling. Uh, I'm sure there's been more exciting moments um, post Gary Pinkle, or at least as exciting, but uh, they're few and far in between. So I enjoyed it thoroughly. There's something to be said for the old for the old Big Eight rivalries, you know. I, yeah. I enjoy them when it comes to hoops, even though we've played Iowa State and K State and now Kansas recently. I still enjoy it every time they play. So, yeah, it was exciting. Uh, I don't think um, I, I was known to have a pretty good leg back in the day as a former soccer player, but I really don't think I could kick a ball that far in the air. Um, I'm a little bit more svelte, so maybe if I put on some weight, uh, <laughs> I might be able to get a little bit more inertia. But uh, no, that got, a little, got a little thicker in the trunk. <laughs> I'm spindly. Yeah, uh, not looking like the our fair kicker these days. Uh, no, like that was that was certainly fun. Um, it's been quiet on the basketball side. Um, they did have some. Uh, some visitors in over the weekend. Uh, so we're recording this. It's Tuesday night, September 19th. A um, couple visitors over the weekend. Other than that, um, I think we've got uh, Bishop Boswell has an announcement here in, in uh, I guess, next week, next Thursday. He's uh, going live on 247 Sports to announce his commitment. Uh, so there's some grounds that are shaken in the uh in the recruiting arena um so we know that uh travis perry who is a uh, a point guard from kentucky missouri's kind of been in and out of his recruitment a little bit um i guess over the last couple of years or ever since Dennis gates got the job uh perry's sort of like the top 100 level guy uh I, I don't know about you. I've always had a hard time kind of getting a read on like how interested Missouri is in, in Perry or if he's more of a backup option, but they had him on campus for an official visit and that's usually a sign of interest. Um, do we know anything more on, on Travis Perry and if he's uh if he's like a realistic target or if, if this is just uh, something that we're just kind of surprised he actually made it on campus for an official. Yeah, I don't really know. Um, yeah, he's Mizzou's been recruiting Travis Perry since last winter, at least, maybe even before. Um, and I believe he was on campus for the Iowa State game last. Was it Iowa State or Kentucky? I believe it was. What is the, yeah, I believe it was it was Iowa State, and but it was uh, they called him before the Kentucky game because he's from Kentucky and said something along the lines of like, "Look what we're about to do to your boys." <laughs> right i think you're and, right on that. yeah and sure enough missouri boat raced them so it was great <laughs> yeah so uh i'm not really sure where he stands and the, the thing is is mizzou's been bringing in a lot of guys on official visits so um and it brought know, trent burns 
Uh, also a guy that, you know, like after they took, uh, so you know, the class as it stands now is at three. Um, so if they're just tuning in and you have not been following along with five cuts uh, over the summer, uh, Missouri has three commitments already. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll just quickly go over them. First was T.O. Barrett, who's top 100 sort of combo guardy, love-like player, tough defender from Oklahoma. Uh, if you look him up on the internet, it may say that he's from Branson, Missouri, but that's because he's attending Lake Academy. Um, this is one of those things where I really wish they would stop doing that. Like if they go to a prep school, can you just leave their hometown as like what their hometown is and not listed as Branson? So like, you know, the top 10 players in Missouri, no one's going to Missouri. Well, they're all, you know, not from Missouri. It's not a big deal. Um, so, uh, and then it was, uh, Marcus Allen, who's a, a top 60 level small forward, uh, from Florida. Uh, and then Peyton Marshall, um, a seven foot, uh, girthy 300. And I think, uh, came uh, he was at the overtime elite NBA, uh, Academy thing today. And, uh, apparently weighed into like 336, which is, uh, is a big boy. So that's the three commitments they have. And since that, so Trent Burns was on campus. Um, what do we know about Trent Burns? If you want to go in on, on him and, and tell the folks about Mr. Burns. Well, he's tall. <laughs> um, we were having a discussion about uh, Trent and Peyton Marshall back before Marshall committed, and if it was an either-or, the pluses and minuses of both. And Marshall is very much a prototypical back-to-the-basket big man, uh, seven foot, as you mentioned, 330 pounds, where Trent Burns is a little bit taller but much skinnier, built more like me, only stretched out. Wow. And he plays more of a five out style. Um, I wouldn't call him a um, dynamic three point shooter where his shot has struggled a little bit, but that's more um, the type of player looking at. And honestly, I think there's probably a little bit of crossover with Connor Vanover, um, mm -hmm. one of Mizzou's newest Tigers who will suit up for the 23 24 season. Um, so I think when we see Connor Vanover play, that is more what I would expect out of Trent Burns versus Peyton Marshall, which is kind of the opposite for two seven footers. Um, so, so it is it is definitely like a thing where like I mean because of the contrasting styles, it's not it wouldn't be unheard of for them to take both. Sure, I think that's a possibility. I think with both of them, it's going to be a matter of development. Um, Marshall, you're going to definitely want to work on his uh, physical elements. Um, and with Burns, I think it's more a matter of um, putting on some weight and also honing in his skills. And, you know, I don't know that either of them are going to be right away first year big time contributors, but um, both of them have skills and prototypes that you look at for guys you could develop in the long term. So, um, you know, whether Mizzou takes Trent Burns or not, I don't know. It's we're, we're just kind of in uncharted territory with this staff that last year they signed three freshmen. The prior year they signed none. They held on to Aiden Shaw, which, um, you know, you can count that in either ledger, I guess. But this year they're going after a lot of freshmen. And we just don't know about how many they're going to take what their strategy is once they get on campus, whether they're recruiting these guys for the portal in the future, if they don't sign with Mizzou. Uh, 
you know, it's just, we, we don't have a lot of information that I think this class will help us answer when it's finalized. Well, so the other guy that was on campus, uh, with Travis Perry this weekend was, uh, another small forward, um, six, six kid who's actually from Huntsville, Alabama knows, uh, the Brown family very well. Uh, guy by the name of, uh, Chase McCarty, um, no relation that I know of to Walter, uh, for, for folks that's maybe, you know, grew up, uh, remembering some of like the, the Rick Pitino, uh, Kentucky teams of like the, the late nineties. Um, but, uh, a guy who's, you know, depending on your service is like a top 100 level wing, uh, sort of, a a good shooter, a guy who, you know, really protect, uh, projects to be a productive, uh, college player. And considering that Missouri already has commitments from Tio Barrett, who, you know, is really more of a combo guard than he is a true point guard. Uh, and Marcus Allen, who really is a small forward, you know, maybe that kind of hybrid forward. Uh, and then they're also really hot on the trail still with, with uh, Honor Batang, uh, the, you know, sort of six four six five. Uh, shooting guard out of Arkansas, a guy who I think a lot of people, a lot of prognosticators still sort of think he's going to wind up in Columbia. Uh, so like, yeah, they, they're kind of like bringing these guys to campus and it's, it's, I guess it's nice if this is the backup plan. Um, you know, in previous years, like, like a guy like McCarty would be sort of like the, you know, the prime target for a lot of Missouri coaching staffs. Yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting, and that doesn't even mention the big visitor they're going to have on campus this weekend, uh, both in the rankings and figuratively large. Um, but yes, it's they're uh, they're bringing in a lot of guys, and we just don't know how many guys they're going to sign. Um, you know, Dennis Gates had such a good um, hit rate in the portal last year, and he's, I believe, poised to do the same this past spring on this coming year's team. Um, the question is, how much do you want to revert into recruiting high school players predominantly, developing them, and doing all of this in the age of NIL and the portal where guys, you know, they have one free transfer and after the freshman year, if they don't like what they're seeing, they can bounce easily. Um, you know, so that's probably the biggest interest or the most interesting thing to me on the recruiting trail right now is the juxtaposition of recruiting all of these high school players, but also having such an established and such a successful history recruiting players from the portal that are very, very experienced. We're talking, I think there's six, maybe seven players this year on Mizzou's team that are a super senior, the COVID seniors, um, which means playing in their fifth plus year of college basketball. Um, right. And if you were to kind of go away from that and bring in a really large freshman class to go with last year's class of uh, Jordan Butler, Trent Pierce, and, uh, Anthony Robinson, you know, you're looking at a pretty young team next year, 24, 25. And, you know, how much room are you willing to leave yourself to get guys in the portal or are you even going to really look at that? So I think that's kind of the, the big thing in recruiting for me is not so much the guys that they're looking at, but just the overall strategy. Yeah. And I think like, you know, sort of as we sort of pivot from, you know, now talked about the guys who were on campus recently you talked about you know or brought up honor batang who i think a lot of people uh feel real good uh that he's going to end up in columbia 
Uh, and then coming up, you know, this uh, this weekend um, is Jaden Quaintance, who mm-hmm. I think at this point a lot of Missouri fans know the name. If you don't, he's uh, he is a prospect. Uh, <laughs> he's a a five star kid. He is in the 2025 class. He reclassified to the 2024 recruiting class. Uh, but he is of the age where he's gonna. He's still two years away from being able to declare for the draft. So uh, two year, uh, two, he will have to spend two years uh, after this next year. So this next year is going to be his technically a senior year. Uh, so no matter where he goes, he's got two years of development before he can be an NBA uh, draftee. Um, a lot of people think that he's like the trajectory that he's on. Uh, he's he's going to be sort of like a lottery level pick. I mean, there's certainly a lot to, to like about him. He's a guy who I sort of liken to, to like Chris Weber with his body type, the way he moves, how strong uh, of a young man he already is. He, you know, he finishes hard around the rim. He's a defensive menace. Um, you know, so you have all these, you know, so not only like, are you talking about a recruiting class, you know, and bringing in a, a deep roster of freshmen, um, but this is an even younger guy who has a whole, I, like the ceiling is, is huge, obviously. And it, it would be nice if you could keep him around for, uh, for two years. Um, you know, reportedly the, uh, <laughs> the, the biggest competition for Missouri, uh, is, is likely to be anyone willing to pay more money. Um, cause the NIL factor is, is obviously going to be a big deal. Um, I think Missouri is going to be competitive there, but the other schools involved are Kentucky, uh, Ohio State, uh, Cincinnati is involved, and uh, and then the the G League Ignite. Um, they do have a limit on how much they can sort of contribute. Uh, but yeah, like I, another guy who's going to take this roster into a younger version. And as you sort of look into next year, like the talent level is certainly exciting and enticing especially if you're able to make sure that you know batang is on the roster and acquaintance is on the roster so like that's sort of like how i think the staff would like to wrap this up um you know but it definitely makes them young uh the year after next yeah and you know the talent is always exciting there's no doubt about it but you know ultimately what it comes down to is production and the balance is finding the right mix of super talented 17 and 18 year old guys that are going to be playing in the NBA when they're 23 and 24. And then also the guys who are probably not going to be playing professionally, at least in the United States who are 23 and 24 and can play college basketball at a high level. Well, you know, and I think a lot of people in the portal are excuse me, the portal era have come to appreciate this, but there's just a big difference between guys who are 18 years old and guys who are 23 and 24 years old. I mean, even the guys who aren't considered major prospects, they've got six years, five years of college basketball under their belt. They've been through the ringer. They've been through the grind of the season. They know how to perform. They know the system, et cetera. Uh, And that's such a big advantage to have teams like that. But you know, the, the COVID year is going to be going away. Um, so there will be some natural uh, regression to how old some teams could be. But, I mean, it's just 
you know, when you think back to college basketball in the olden days, you know, guys were staying three, four years and the, the NBA drafts, draft picks were coming from upperclassmen primarily. Uh, that's not how it is anymore. And you see teams like uh, Kentucky, Duke, those programs specifically, specifically still going after the high-level, high-impact freshman players. And, you know, they're still really good programs, but some of these other teams that are building on more senior-laden groups, they've caught up. You know, it, we, we remember back to 2015 when Kentucky went almost went undefeated, and I'm not even going to mention who beat them. Um, <laughs> but, Stick to the uh, bit. Stick to the bit. <laughs> you know, I think they had – what was it like 90% of their players were freshmen or sophomores and something like 75% of them were future NBA first round draft picks. That was a really good team. You've, you, fo- you focus on last year and uh, UConn who won the tournament in very decisive fashion, I might add, they had a blend, you know, they had some transfers, they had some impact freshmen, they had some experienced veteran players, Um, you know, and it's, there's just not one right or wrong answer. It's finding what works for you and what works for your program. And a lot of that comes down into how much you can pay these players now through NIL. And it's my suspicion that players that Mizzou is targeting this year probably come in at a lower cost than a lot of the upper tier transfers because so much of the program building has um, skewed toward transfers in the last few years. Yeah, I think we yeah you you look at them sort of like narrow narrowly missing on a guy like Matthew Cleveland and you know rumors were that you know the uh, the Miami offer you know significantly trumped what Missouri was going to offer but you know at the time you know Missouri was very clearly being a little bit more conservative in what they were wanting to sort of push out because at the time uh, if you remember like there was still a thought that Kobe Brown might be coming back to school and if Kobe Brown's coming back to school well, you want to be able to pay him um, and make sure that he's not going to go into the transfer portal as a, as a grad senior. Um, and so, like, I think we are kind of moving into, like, this really interesting gray area over the next couple of years where there's going to be a little bit of, like, a return to normalcy post-COVID, right? And I think COVID did, did a number of things on top of give all these, you know, now young men, an extra year of, uh, of college eligibility. Um, but it also like changed a lot of player development. Um, there were the normal like path of development and nobody's like, nobody's development path is linear. Um, you know, there's, there ebbs and flows and, and typically like, you'll see that kind of reflected in the rankings, you know, like a guy will, uh, you know, like fall back and then gain. And, and next thing you know, like he, like a big, there's a kid by the name of Jaleel Bathia who was, you know, barely a top 100 guy uh, a year ago. And now he's a top 10, 12 guy, um, you know, and that's just sort of like how this goes. And so like, if he's jumping up then somebody else is jumping back and it doesn't necessarily mean that, uh, that, players aren't necessarily like destined for the NBA or destined to be really good, productive college players. What it means is that like, we're essentially like working our way through what amounts to like almost like 18 months for some guys of essentially like lost competition in the heart of when they're developing who they are as a player. 
And as we get further and further away from that, you know, the, the, I think the, the fluctuations is going to like level out and we're going to see, like, like, I still think like Kentucky's model that, you know, as we, we brought them up a little bit ago, Kentucky's model of, of bringing in, you know, five, five-star freshmen every year. I still think that that can be a winning model because Cal's shown in years past that like he can take those guys and he can go compete against high level teams and, and teams with seniors and, and he can, he can beat them. You know, he's won a national championship. He won a, won a national championship with Anthony Davis on the roster. And like it, it helps to have that kind of generational talent, uh, you know, but it doesn't like, I don't think, I don't think it means that you have to, uh, you have to move away from getting a younger, maybe more talented roster. If you believe in your ability to develop them and make them a cohesive unit by the end of the year. And then also like, if you're, if you're doing what, what Gates might be doing, which is, and, and this is maybe can lead us into a little bit more discussion on, on like the types of players that he's getting, but, there's nobody that he's recruited yet who is a surefire like one and done player. Um, the closest we have is is Quaintance, and even he can't be a one and done. Uh, everybody else, by most, at least most prognosticators, think that a lot of the guys that are being recruited are guys who have NBA potential, and they're two, three, four years out, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, if you're recruiting in that. 25 to 125 range you're and you're stacking multiple classes of those guys then you will end up with a a fairly you know obviously with hoping that they all stick around but uh i i do think it's far more likely that you're going to be able to keep and retain your talent in the nil era uh than necessarily like yeah because i don't think we saw like a ton of high productive guys that entered the transfer portal. Like the, the number of Hunter Dickinson's that went into the transfer portal is like they wanted is that's the one guy. Everybody else is like, well, like Matthew Cleveland, for example, showed flashes. Uh, but is he a plug and play, get me 20 a night guy? Well, he might be, but there's, there's no knowing that. Whereas Hunter very much is that guy. So I like, I, I think there's like this, this progression uh, that's happening where we're not completely returning back to the way things were pre COVID. But I think like, because the transfer portal is always going to be there, but I think that we're moving closer to that, you know, in these next couple of years uh, for sure. Yeah. It's just a matter of, you know, as you said, being able to retain players, if that's your strategy. And some, some programs have done that. Marquette prided itself this past year on returning virtually everyone not hitting the portal and they had a great year granted they didn't go deep in the NCAA tournament but I don't really find that to be a great barometer they had an excellent year Um, Wisconsin has been doing this from the dawn of the ice age uh, where they bring in guys redshirt them if they need to and they stick around for three four five years and they have phenomenal teams um you know, there's just no one way to skin a cat, and it you got to find something that fits 
um, your program, your coaches, and now your NIL budget. And, you know, that's a big thing. We talked about Hunter Dickinson. Mizzou probably brought in five players that didn't cost what Hunter Dickinson did um, in the transfer portal. And, you know, what's going to be the bigger value for a team that needs minutes? I would say probably what Mizzou did. Um, Hunter Dickinson is a great player and he chose a very bad school to go to, but there's no denying that he's a very good player. Um, So it's just a matter of you're kind of getting into not only team building dynamics, but also economics now. You know, how do Major League Baseball, how do NBA teams, how do NFL teams build the roster? You know, you have to be economical with your choices. And in theory, if Mizzou is going to go with go the route of bringing in four or five freshmen every year of similar caliber that they're looking at this year and trying to stack that class, um, you're eventually going to have to pay up, even if they don't cost the same as what they do as freshmen um, between their freshman and sophomore year. So if a guy who you like, but may not be one of the top five, six, seven guys in minutes his sophomore year comes to you and say, hey, these other schools are offering me X amount of money. Is it worth it to keep him and develop him in an additional year? Um, So it's just, it's a whole new dynamic and I find it very interesting. And the only thing that, the only reservation I have about it is we don't know what the numbers are. Uh, And that would lead to a lot better, a lot more educated conversation on the topic. Otherwise it's just, guessing who gets what yeah and i know that you're a, a big fan of like you know the sell money ball and uh and i actually watched that uh for the first time since like shortly after it came out um i needed something on the background like while i was i was doing writing over the weekend and uh and chose that um and you know it is like one of these things like when you know what what people are spending and and the, that that is sort of the problem with us you know not having the normal sort of uh employee uh employer employee relationship or even you know which i think you know like more in the line of uh you know the the major sports leagues is probably more akin to like a you know contractor uh type relationship um you know but but you know having unions and having people that are negotiating and having these numbers out uh, in front of everybody, um, certainly it, it makes us a little bit more of a guessing game. Uh, you know, I think you and, and I know I have, and many others have, have tried to sort of figure out what, like what we're talking about with these numbers. And it just seems like the best thing you can come up with is that Missouri is very competitive, whatever that means, you know? So I it, think it, it sounds was, like a Mosaic line. If you, <laughs> <laughs> I think it was uh, was it Matt Norlander who had the piece with all the quotes from coaches about um, what they thought guys were getting in the portal. I think it was this summer, and I yeah. don't want to attribute it to the wrong person, but it was it was an interesting piece. I, I could tell that it could also be manipulated, um, but it seemed like the general thought was that a Division One high major caliber transfer was worth like $200,000 in NIL. I find that to be a little bit high, but you know, it's not cheap. You know, we're talking about guys that were, you know, a starter caliber player on another high major wants to come over to your school. That's going to cost you money. You know, it's, it's not like recruiting a freshman who's a top 50, top 75 guy. Uh, These guys, you know what they're going to do. You have the film, you have the data, you've seen what they can do. 
and it's a plug and play situation where with the with the freshmen there's so much development and um, sweat equity that you have to put into it and then pay on top of that once you get down the road so anyway i know we're going down a little bit of a tangent here but it's interesting but suffice it to say that you know you you really have to think about the economic aspect um probably more than ever um about how you're building your program well uh people that are in the program have to think about that uh we have to basically guess (laughs) um and and what it does lead to, uh, and then th- this is me transitioning to, I think, what was going to be our next topic, which is um, it, it does lead to, you know, a, a level of program building that you either sort of believe in uh, or you maybe begin to question. And uh, we are, what, like a, less than a month uh, from kicking off kind of like our, our preview season. Um, for those that read all of my SEC previews, I'd like to say thank you to uh, both of you. Um, <laughs> it's it's sometimes it feels like an exercise of futility, but if you're reading them, I, I, I thank you. It takes a lot of time to write. Uh, I am mostly through the, the first one right now and uh, can't wait to finish writing about uh, South Carolina. Um, <laughs> but we I'm are just- getting there. <laughs> but we are we are going to preview our own team and yeah. and doing all that and in in this process uh you know like i think without trying to you know i guess sound a little bit braggadocious but i i feel like we have a good group of writers who have a good understanding of of basketball what missouri's trying to do like what they uh are are building, uh, why they're building the way they're building. Um, but it's still good to kind of get outside opinions. We've got prognostications coming in that we can look at and disagree with, but we also have, uh, a lot of new faces on the roster who are going to need to be kind of explained, uh, to, to a lot of the people. And you, you talked to some folks today to, uh, kind of, help us get a clearer picture on like what Missouri is getting. Um, yeah. Um, I actually spoke with Brandon Goble yesterday, who's become almost a feature, um, for our site. He's, uh, for those unaware, he's a writer and, uh, basketball aficionado. And I don't even know the right term to use. He, he knows hoops, but he especially is very in tune with the junior college circuit. When I spoke he's with him, all, he, he's he, also a big time uh, grill master and cooks some serious <laughs> steaks. Uh, if you follow him on Twitter, you can see uh, you could see some really great steaks that he cooks. Yeah. So, thank you so Brandon, anyway, for, for for doing that. We've been uh, doing our due diligence. I've uh, we've divided up the duties as as necessary. Matt Harris um, has been tirelessly clipping um film i i think you know i honestly think he kind of enjoys it he may he may not um lead on to that but i think that's generally like kind of his relaxation zone um but we're gonna have a ton of film on all the guys including returning players Um, i dug through all the data as i'm known to do um Mm -hmm. we're gonna have plenty of that involved in the previews and you know i think 
I don't want to toot my own horn because I missed wildly on doing. I mean, I'm already thing. bragging on us, so let's just let's just <laughs> go right in. But uh, I, away. I found, after the season this past year, I actually went back and kind of looked through the previews, and they were they were pretty good. Um, DeAndre Golston was a miss. Isaiah Mosley, for reasons unexplained but well known, um, was a miss, and I think those two kind of switch spots in a lot of ways. But other than that, um, we hope to give you kind of a, a roadmap of what to expect from these players. We use all available information uh, to arrive at that. I could just sit down in my basement and tell you what I think, but that's not really what I'm, what I'm trying to do. So uh, yeah, it's, it's exciting. We're almost to the season and these previews are going to car- start rolling what in early mid October. Yeah. Uh, I don't think we have a, a hard date set for like all the player stuff. It kind of figure that out, but uh, whatever, like the Monday, I want to say it's like the, is it the 15th? No, 15th not right. Um, it might be the 15th. Uh, that's when the South Carolina preview drops. So I'm, I'm spoiling here uh, that South Carolina is my 14th ranked uh, SEC team going into the season. Uh, so that's the day that that'll kick off. I imagine like the player preview stuff will probably kick off around around then. Uh, you've already completed all the returning guys. Um, yes, at least that's a, that's a shorter list. Right. We've got. Uh, well, I should say four or five. I have not completed Caleb Brown's write up yet, but uh, Noah Carter should be a long shot. <laughs> Noah Carter, Aiden Shaw, Nick Honor, and Sean East all have uh, some words and numbers plugged into their stores, and uh, Matt Harris will be a little shortly to give us plenty of film, hours and hours of film. Um, but yeah, it, it's an exciting, exciting time of year. I think uh, you know those four players, from what I've seen, um, you know, probably stand to see a little bit of an expanded role. And if things click, I think that's a pretty good returning group. Um, of all you the guys, are pretty high on uh, on Noah specifically on what he can kind of provide. Um, yeah, I you know he's he's not a perfect comparison to Kobe Brown. Kobe Brown is a first round draft pick who lit it up in the summer league this year. Um, but Kobe Brown wasn't the Kobe Brown we knew last summer. Um, you know his shot really came along. His Three point shooting, I believe, rose from what was it, 26, 27 percent, something like that, to over 40, um, which is the jump that he needed to get where he's at now. But you just don't know what happens in the offseason until you see it. Um, but I do think Noah Carter has a lot of the pieces that you want from that position um, on Mizzou's team. Kobe was initiating a lot of the offense from the elbows and also playing out on the perimeter. Um, and being a mismatch for opposing players, which partly because of Mizzou's own fault, he was the tallest player on the floor. So, you know, on offense, if Mizzou's playing Mississippi State, Tolu Smith's got to come out and guard Kobe Brown on the perimeter. That's not what Michigan, Michigan, Mississippi State wants. So whether whether Noah Carter's going to be able to do that exact thing, I'm not sure. But I do think that he has a lot of the similar attributes. He's very good off the bounce, he can pass, he can shoot. Um, so if he come, if his game elevates, which being a second year up transfer from a mid-major, I think it's possible. Uh, you know, if you get a player like him to even somewhat replicate what Kobe Brown did last year, 
And then you add in all the returning players, all, I mean, four, which is other than Carter, which is a pretty big deal in, in uh, college basketball nowadays. And the other four transfers, plus Kurt Lewis, who's a uh, Juco transfer, and then the three freshmen. I mean, you've got a deep team, and they shoot the ball well. You just, I think, need that one guy who, who you can kind of look to when the offense isn't humming along or you're in a late clock situation. If Noah can be that guy on certain evenings, I think I think they've got a pretty high ceiling. And I think like that's maybe the biggest uh, you know question mark. Actually, uh, who was it? Lindy's came out with their preview um, and and ranked Missouri thirteenth and said that offense was going to be a struggle. Um, and I don't. Uh, I'm trying to like. I'm I'm, I'm really going to try to be diplomatic here, um, but. That's a load of horse hockey. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't purchase the rest of their publication on that. On that aspect alone, I. You know, I, you can always be wrong on one team, but if, if that's if that's your takeaway from this one isolated incident, I can't really put a whole lot of stock in the rest of you. The work that you've done. Um, I think there's like it, a legitimate criticism that you know Missouri may be lacking you know, that go-to guy, but that's also, it's like, you kind of pointed out, like we didn't necessarily think Kobe Brown was going to take that, the leap that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if that's Noah Carter, if it's a, you know, a guy who's kind of come into the, uh, the team, if it's, you know, Tamar Bates or, uh, you know, or one of, one of those guys or, um, you know, for me, I think it's, it's more going to come down to, you know, if they shoot, the ball better and a little bit more consistently than they did last year. Um, yeah, like last year, it was not a deep team. Uh, they, they struggled if they, you know, like the top two guys weren't sort of hitting and, uh, and yeah, some, a lot of nights, especially later in the year, they were only getting, uh, you know, about seven deep and that's, that's tough to sort of, you know, get in. That's tough to pull off when you're in a league, like the SEC this year, it looks like they're, probably going to be able to play consistently nine or 10 guys. Um, and if they shoot the ball with any consistency, like I, I, they're going to score a lot of points. Like I don't think offense on this team is going to be a problem. There are other things you can be concerned about, uh, scoring the ball. I, I don't think is going to be the biggest concern, maybe late possession scoring the ball. Uh, but overall offensive efficiency is not something that I'm worried about with this team. I would agree with that. And, you know, I I was as big of a Nick Honor fan last offseason as you'd find. Um, there was the debate about who's going to be the starting point guard, even though it really doesn't matter, that designation in the system that we saw last year. Uh, Nick Honor eventually won out, and I just felt a little bit more confident in him and what he brought, and he was that and more versus Sean East, who I I saw the skill there, but I wasn't quite sure that he was ready to um, take on a starting role or at least starter minute role. And Sean did have a pretty good season last year. But honestly, I think Sean might be the one who we see the biggest jump from last year to this year among the returning players. And I think his comfort in being in a program for a second consecutive year which is the first time he can say that in his five years in college. Um, 
you know, and he's now been with Kyle Smith Peters for three of those years. I think Mizzou fans are going to be pleased with what they see out of Mr. East this year. And he has the game to be one of those go-to type players uh, because he has everything that you want in a point guard or a ball guard, as I'm referring to him here, a guy used in ball screens, isolations, etc. But he just didn't have a consistent jump shot last year, and that was really hurting him. And I think given a year, he's going to prove that he was a much better shooter than he was last year. I believe in his first two years in college, he was over 30%, which while not great is a far cry from the 22% he shot last year. And if he's, a, if he's able to get up into that mid thirties from three point range and do everything else that he already does, he's going to be a really dangerous player and a guy that you can look to in late clock situations. Yeah. He's, and he's certainly crafty with his finishes. Uh, you know, the, the left hand, um, you know, guard thing is something that isn't super common. I think it's still, uh, you know, it can be challenging to, to defend that sometimes. So I, you know, I could see, I could see Shawnee's kind of taking the leap. Uh, the, I, I know we kind of talked about it privately, but I believe the coaching staff also kind of made some adjustments to his, his shot, like last off season, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I think that was also one of the reasons why he struggled so much during the year to, to shoot as he was kind of in between like working on, on this new skill set. Um, you know, but like we've seen the the videos of him kind of canning one after another. So uh, let's let's hope that that can sort of go into games and and because if, if if he's a consistent shooter and you have to close out hard on him, uh, that opens up a lot of a lot of drives and and certainly he's he's crafty with the passes. He's a very good finisher at the rim and he's got a got an exceptional floater game. Um, you know, off, oftentimes I think he may rely on it too much, but you know, when you look at the numbers, when he does the floater, which for those who may not know is running into the lane or towards the basket, stopping short, popping it way up in the air and watching it drop through the hoop. Um, I, how's that for a description? It's pretty accurate, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, he's incredibly efficient compared to his peers doing that. And when you have, when you have the ability to finish at the rim, have that in your finishing package, and then you add in a legitimate jump shot from outside, that's really hard to guard guys who can play with that speed, craftiness, and finishing package. So we'll see. Uh, you know, it may not come true, but just looking at things, I think he is a guy who could really see a jump from a quality rotation player to maybe a frontline type guy. Well, all right. Well, we are, uh, we are kind of right at the, point of uh of no return we can either sit around and and talk for another 30 minutes about the zoo basketball or we can just go ahead and get out of here and save something for another day uh is there anything else that you wanted to hit on before we get out of here nope i think that's uh you know it's september we're getting there once it's It's september Yeah, like like football season is in full swing. We got uh we got dome games coming uh this weekend. Uh the the football coverage, I hope everybody's reading it. I'm really happy with with what everybody is putting out. The beat guys have been terrific. Uh both Jaden and Parker uh kind of, you know, rocking things uh these days. Um Nate BK, obviously, if you're subscribed to this channel then uh you are you're getting the before the box score too. And 
and BK man is is good at his job. He is uh he is always hitting the right notes. It's it's always funny like when they when those guys like go in and 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 take the coaching staff task, uh, but also still be able to do so in a in a way that that lets you fully enjoy their success uh, a week later. Because certainly um, it was a bumpy couple weeks, and then hey, like last week was a lot of fun. So let's have more fun uh, with the football team this year. You can do that by subscribing to this this here YouTube channel uh, or through the podcast feed. Um, we're available on Spotify. You can check it out on uh, Apple Podcasts, the Google Play Store. However you listen to podcasts, you can get this podcast and all the others from Rockin' Radio. Um, Watkins, you can follow him on uh, on the, the, the tweets. I guess they're zeets. Uh, they're just posts now. Um, at Data Mizzou, at least uh, until Elon starts charging everybody. And then... Uh, and then I'm like, I'll probably log off forever. I will add that, uh, speaking of Twitter X, whatever, and the Mizzou football, I, I, I will toot my own horn. I, I did call the win last weekend. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're, you're a believer. Um, I, I don't I think I, th- I thought they could win. Um, I like, I just thought they were, and especially like you could kind of see it early in the, in the football game. I thought they were more talented. Uh, the Kansas State, you know, Kansas State might be better coached, but you know, talent still wins you a lot of games. Um, you know, so for for whatever you want to say about Eli uh, Eli Drinkwitz, and I know that there's a lot of people that don't like him. Um, this is also part of my argument when they hired Barry Odom, and everybody like got mad at Barry Odom for not being perfect. Like, you have to learn how to be a head coach, and uh, and two coaches in a row have been really really young head coaches. Like Gary Pinkle was great. He was also a head coach for like a decade and a half before he got to Missouri. <laughs> so uh, there was a difference. The top thing, and top thing to learn it, this week was don't call timeouts after first downs under two minutes. Yeah, like you know, <laughs> like his 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 game was not uh, flawless. And like don't call timeouts then. Also, maybe uh, you know, maybe get your guys in the right spot so you're not getting a delay game penalty. Um, I don't know. There's a whole lot of things. Uh, I'll let the before the box score uh, guys <laughs> hammer out all of those uh, intricacies of the the football game. But uh, we'll be back with more dive cuts. I don't like. We're still at a point now. Where it, we're kind of waiting on news. Uh, I know in a couple of weeks we've got Boswell committing. Um, if you want me to take a guess on where he goes, I'm just gonna say not Mizzou. Um, I think Mizzou is is waiting on a uh a certain guard from from arkansas to make his decision uh and then and then go from there with with queens so uh, we'll see how it goes the rest of the fall uh i think october's gonna be a busy month you you do recruiting basketball football it's it's gonna be a busy month it's all dropping it's all dropping uh yeah so we'll see y'all catch on the flip side oh one last thing if you are in St. Louis or going to St. Louis this weekend and you want the best fried chicken that you've ever had, go to Sunday's Best Fried Chicken. It was in there over the weekend. Uh, full disclosure, John Perkins, the owner, proprietor of the, the spot, is a, is a friend of mine. And uh, But I, I say this with 
as much sincerity as I can muster, and uh, I am telling you the truth, I think it's the best chicken in St. Louis. Uh, it is delicious. Go there, get the fried chicken. Uh, it's awesome. Support Sunday Best. Uh, if you're going to the Dome, they'll be open and they'll be serving fried chicken. So there you go. Uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to Rock M Radio, a proud partner of Fans First Sports Network. If you enjoyed this episode and would like to see more just like it beamed directly into your personal device, just click the subscribe button below. Beep. Uh, and you can find this podcast through the Apple Podcast app or for iPhone or the Google Podcast app for Android or whatever app you use to listen to your podcast. Uh, we are also available on Spotify. Just search for Rock M Radio. Uh, and if you like other sports, Fans First Sports Network uh, is a podcast network that has uh, coverage of all other teams, Major League Baseball, uh, MLS, uh, NFL, whatever you want uh, to listen and, and read about it is a great great network full of really fantastic podcasts so look them up and subscribe uh to any and all of those podcasts uh rock m radio will be back with more episodes coming soon thanks